Welcome to the Crossroad International Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. Open with me, if you would, to the book of Romans, chapter 12. You know, the book of Romans, we should be a leisurely stroll by a quiet lake and take a long time to enjoy the scenery and enjoy everything that the book of Romans has to offer. But over the last few weeks, we've basically done a Formula One race through the book of Romans. So you've gotten a broad overview, and one day we hope to be able to come back and spend a little more time in the book of Romans. So I've titled the message today, By God's Grace, and we're going to look at chapter 12. The first thing we want to see is, by God's grace, we are sacrifices, verse 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When he talks about I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to present your bodies as sacrifices. He is contrasting this with the Old Testament sacrifice. And this sacrifice is motivated, it says, by the mercy of God. And the sacrifice that we offer is our bodies. But in contrast to the Old Testament sacrifice where every time you came to synagogue or came to the temple you had to go to the market and you had to buy a lamb or a turtle dove depending on your financial standing and you had to bring that to the temple and you had to make a sacrifice of that animal aren't you glad that this sacrifice that we offer number one it is a living sacrifice You know, we wouldn't have a church for very long if we had to (laughs) present our bodies as a sacrifice like in the Old Testament. And every, you know, you come to church, you get saved, you can come one time and then you've gone to heaven. Let me ask you, how many of you are looking forward to heaven? How many of you want to go right now? (laughs) Some of us. It wouldn't be bad. But... I think I have a few more things that God wants me to do. I'm looking forward to heaven, but I would rather it wasn't right now. Now, if Jesus comes before I finish this message, if you want to stay, you can stay, but I'm gone, okay? If he comes, I'm going with him. If you want to stay, my notes are up here. You can come read them, but most of us won't be here. Not only is it a living sacrifice, but it is a holy sacrifice. 
The Bible says that we come to God who is a holy God, and he says you must be holy because I am holy. The church, too many times we have gotten away from talking about that we as the body of Christ need to live a holy and a godly life, a life of purity, a life without sin before God. And then this sacrifice is also acceptable. It's not something that is rejected by God. When we offer ourselves to live this life in God's presence, he accepts it. And then the last thing we see is this sacrifice is our reasonable service. It's not unreasonable. Uh, my wife just finished reading a book, and I started it, and it's called Killing Christians. And it talks about the people that are being persecuted today. They are literally offering themselves as sacrifices in our neighboring countries to be Christians. Most of us don't suffer that way. Some of us might, but we don't understand it. But if it, we are ever called to that, it is a reasonable service. So how much more reasonable is it to live a godly life every day? And then the result of us being this sacrifice is that we are not conformed to this world. That word conformed, it means to be pressed or be molded into an image. You take a mold and you put the clay in it and you press the mold around the clay. And then when you take the mold away... The clay is the image of whatever that mold was. It's even more, you remember um, when the people were talking to Jesus about paying taxes and he held up a coin and he says, whose image is on this coin? And they said, Caesar. Well, how did that image get on that coin? A piece of metal was taken and extreme pressure with a mold and it pressed the image of Caesar into that coin. And the scripture says if we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, we will not be conformed to this world's ways. But you know, the world sometimes is very subtle. It's very deceptive. Sometimes we get so comfortable in the society around us that we don't even realize that we are just like society. I used to have a picture in my office and it showed two people with very angry faces arguing. And the caption says, do not get in an argument with the fool because passers-by can't tell who is who. So we have to be very careful that we don't get so comfortable with our society around us and the way things are that we conform to the world. This is a personal choice. I have to choose not to be conformed to those around us. 
And then the second thing is result of this sacrifice is we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are transformed. That is the word metamorpho, the metamorphosis of a caterpillar entering into a chrysalis and coming out a butterfly. I think that I think the caterpillar the chrysalis is for a butterfly cocoon is for a moth, I think. I don't know some yeah, okay. Think about it. The caterpillar, what does he do all of his life? He tears up my tomato plants and he eats my flowers because he lives on eating leaves. And then something in him happens and he goes into this metamorphosis. He goes into a chrysalis and sometime later he comes out as a butterfly. And he no longer goes back to eating leaves, but now he is going from flower to flower, searching for the nectar and pollinating the flowers. A total transformation. And the Bible says that you and I are transformed by the renewing of our mind, and we renew our mind through the washing of the water of the Word. So we need to spend time in his book. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says that we have the mind of Christ. I've said this many times joking, but it, it really hits home sometimes. If Christians would spend as much time in his book as they do on Facebook they would probably not be so conformed to the society around them, but we would be more transformed because we spend time in his book. And then if we are living sacrifices, we prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. I've heard it taught that God has three levels of his will. And I've even taught that. He has his good will, he has his acceptable will, and he has his perfect will. Well, the more I study scripture, I don't believe that. I think God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. And God wants us to conform to his will. Because everything that God has for us is good. And it's acceptable and it is to make us perfect. So by God's grace, we are sacrifices. That's not something we like to hear too often. How many of you like sacrifice? No, we like it easy. We like it comfortable. We like the good time. But that's conforming to the image of this world. And Paul is saying here that by God's grace, we can offer ourselves as sacrifices. And then in verse 3, it says that by God's grace, we humble ourselves. We say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. We must discern who we are in Christ. Philippians 2.5 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. And it goes on to say that Jesus humbled himself. He left his high position in heaven to come to this earth to humble himself to be the Savior for you and I. And by God's grace, we humble ourselves. We need to look into the mirror of God's word, getting back to his word again. James chapter 1, verses 21 to 25 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Verse 23 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, he is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. Let me ask you a question. Be honest with me. How many of you looked in a mirror this morning? Thank you. <laughs> Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank you for using a mirror this morning. <laughs> Sometimes when I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror and I scare myself. Because my hair is getting very thin. And it has a tendency, I kind of look like Einstein sometimes when I wake up because my hair is getting white and it just sticks out everywhere. But, you know, I look in the mirror and then I, throughout the day. Now, I know none of you do this. But what is the tendency of most people when you walk by a mirror? Do you ignore it? <laughs> or do you like to look at that handsome person or that beautiful lady that's walking in the mirror? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> We've got a small kitten at home. And every now and then at night with the reflection on the, the plate glass window going out to the balcony, he sees another cat trying to get in the house. And he runs full blast and jumps from about two feet and hits the glass. And realize that cat is not trying to get in. It is him. And you know, many times as believers, we have seen the enemy. And many times the enemy of our faith is the person looking back at us in the mirror. But God wants us to humble ourselves and then in verses four and five it says by god's grace we honor others for as we have many members in one body but all the members do not have the same function 
So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. That goes into the next one. But by grace, we honor one another. It says that there are many members, but one body. Look around you. None of us look the same. None of us are from the same background. In diversity, there is unity. And in unity, there is diversity. See, unity does not mean uniformity. I'm glad you don't all look like me. I'm glad you don't all act like me. I'm glad that every one of us is an individual. Every one of us have individual fingerprints. Every one of us, our iris is individual. Our faces are individual. God has diversity, and the different parts make up the whole. And then not only is there unity in diversity, but there is harmony in the body of Christ. The different parts work together. Aren't you glad we're not all just an ear? How would you have gotten here if you're just an ear or if we were all just an eyeball? Remember going to a conference in Mexico one time and I was the guest speaker. And since I was the guest speaker, I was the guest of honor at the meal. And the only thing I had on my plate was the eyeballs of the animal they had slaughtered for the meal because I was the guest of honor. Um, I'm glad we're not just a big eyeball rolling around, but we're all different. Amen. And God needs every one of us. There is a mutual relationship in the body of Christ. We are members one for another. I need you. And you need me. We need each other. Verses 6 through 8 says that by God's grace, we use our gifts. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, then prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it. In our ministering, or he who teaches in teaching, or he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberty, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. God has gifted each one of us differently. One of my main giftings in the body of Christ is a gift of service. I love helping people. I love serving people so if I ever tell you just call me I'll help I mean it okay because that's one of my gifts is I love to help people but not everybody has that gift Pastor Dell is very gifted creatively look at our website 
if it was up to me to do that, we still would not have a website. I'm gifted administratively. I love writing policies and all of these things like the Constitution and the child protection policy and the human relations handbook for the church and the staff policies and the financial policies. And I love that. Talking to Dell, if he had to do it, we wouldn't have those policies. So God has put us together leading this church and our different giftings mesh together and we complement one another. Your gift is needed in the church. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head of Christ, from which the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth in the body of Christ for the edifying of itself in love. Every gift is needed. If you are gifted in working with children, we need you in children's ministry. If you're gifted in singing or playing, we need you on the music team. If you're gifted in greeting people and just helping out, we need you as the ushers. If, you're, if you just like to get hands-on, we need help setting up and taking down every day. If you like doing hospitality, we need those. Every gift is needed in the body of Christ. And we are gifted to serve each other. God doesn't gift us to serve ourselves. Jesus is to be exalted by your gift. And then the last thing there says, be a donkey Christian. What do I mean by that? Be a donkey for Jesus. Amen? You remember the triumphal entry? Jesus told his disciples, go into town, you'll find a small donkey that no one's ever ridden, bring him to me. So they brought the donkey to Jesus, and they covered the donkey with their coats and their cloaks, and Jesus got on the donkey, and Jesus was led into Jerusalem on the donkey. And as Jesus came into Jerusalem, all of the people started throwing their coats and palm branches on the wayside to make a triumphal entry for Jesus. Now, search your Bible. Search through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will not find one place in the Gospels where anybody came up to that little donkey and said, Man, you did a good job today. You are the best donkey I've ever seen. I meant the way you carried Jesus and you never even stumbled. Nobody talked about the donkey. Nobody was even looking at the donkey. Everybody had their eyes on Jesus. See, God gifts us in the body of Christ 
not for people to look at us, but for people to see the Jesus that we bring to them. Amen? So now you understand what I mean, be a donkey for Jesus. Don't do it for the praise that you get, but do it so that you can bring Jesus to the people. When we lived in Africa for all of those years, we used to have a lot of crusades, and there were posters plastered everywhere. The walls, the fences, trees. And normally these posters, a lot of them were huge. And you would see a giant picture of whoever the evangelist was and his name in big letters across it. And it would say evangelist or apostle or whatever. And in little bitty letters at the bottom, presenting Jesus. I kept praying and never saw it happen, but I wanted to see a poster of great big letters, Jesus, and in little bitty letters underneath it, presented by, and then the evangelist's name. Because see, our job is simply to bring Jesus to people, not to be noticed, not to be glorified. See, I don't care if no one knows who Steve Mills is. If my name is never remembered, that doesn't bother me. As long as they know the Jesus that I represent. That's what it's all about. So turn to your neighbor and say, are you a donkey? <laughs> okay, ladies, don't talk to your husbands too much. <laughs> And then the last thing we want to look here is verses 9 through 21. It says, by God's grace, we behave like Christians. Let me read you a quote from Matthew Henry's commentary on this section of Scripture, Romans 12, 9 through 21. He said, religion is personal. Religion is an individual matter. Religion is... The seat of religion is in the heart. Christianity is both intelligible truth and a living power. Christianity is not just something that lives in our mind. It's not just something we know, but it is a lifestyle. It enters into and takes possession of a man's spiritual nature and it controls and governs his life, and it affects his social relations. The Christian life should not be aimless, and it should not be selfish. All of us need to know what God has called us to do, and we need to aim toward that target. Now, growing up, I used to shoot a bow and arrow. And I got pretty good. We used to do some hunting with bow and arrow. Now, I could shoot at this wall, and the arrow hit the wall, and then I go up and I draw a circle around where the arrow hits on the wall, and then a bigger circle and a bigger circle, and say, look, see, I hit the target. 
And that's the way we do a lot of times as Christians. We just go here or there, and when something happens, we go, oh, yeah, that was the target. But if you want to know how good you are with the bow and arrow, you hang the target on the wall. And then you shoot at it, and you see where the arrow hits on the target to see how you need to adjust. Let me ask you, how is your aim today in what God has called you to do? And are you living your life for others, or are you living for yourself? General William Booth was asked to explain the gospel in one word. People thought he would say Jesus, the cross, those types of things. He says the gospel in one word is simple. It's others. The gospel is about others. Jesus left heaven for others. Jesus ministered while he was on this earth to others. Jesus died on the cross for others. Jesus rose again to give eternal life to others. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, interceding for others. So if you want to live your life for the gospel, it's very simple. Give yourself to others. The Christian life should be consciously and deliberately lived in service. And this service is basically in three areas. And this service is possible because we have been transformed in the beginning of this chapter. So the first thing we do is how do we live our lives in service to Jesus? And it just goes straight through these next scriptures. It says love without hypocrisy. Galatians 2, 11 to 13. Peter is in Antioch and he's there with the Gentiles and he's eating with them. He's sitting at the table with them. He's fellowshipping with them and he's having a good time. And then all of a sudden some of the leaders from the church in Jerusalem come and Peter separated himself from the Gentiles and only spent time with these Jewish leaders. And Paul said he had to confront Peter because of his hypocrisy. See, we live without hypocrisy. I was witnessing to a guy one time and he said, You know, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. And I don't want to go be around all those hypocrites in the church. They say one thing and they do something else. I said, well, every bar I've ever been in is full of hypocrites, but you don't stay out of those. So that's just an excuse. But when to live for Jesus, we live without hypocrisy. And it says, the next scripture, it says that we abhor what is evil... And we cling to what is good. We are kind to one another. We give preference to one another. We don't lag in our diligence to serve Him. We are on fire in the Spirit or fervent in Spirit. 
serving the Lord. We rejoice in hope. We're patient in tribulation. We continue steadfast in prayer. We distribute to the needs of other believers and we're hospitable. You want to know how to live the Christian life? Paul just told us in those four or five verses. That's how we serve or live our life in service to Jesus. Then he brings up another group, another way of living, and it's how to serve those in our circle of influence. Here's what he says. Rejoice with those that rejoice. This gets right down where we live. What's your attitude when that person that's been at the company less time than you gets the promotion that you thought you deserved? Do you rejoice when they're rejoicing? That's what this scripture is talking about. And it also says weep with those that weep. When that person at work that you don't like got fired and they're all upset, that's not the time to rejoice. Not if you're trying to reach them for Jesus. You weep with those that weep. You rejoice with those that rejoice. Why? Because it's not about me. I'm living my life for others. He says we need to be of the same mind. Don't set your mind on high things. Associate with the humble. This last one is tough. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Now if I could look into our hearts. Most of us probably have a pretty good opinion of ourselves. This is one of the things that I deal with probably more than anything. Because when I grew up, you've heard my testimony, I grew up very prejudiced. And so I had to really deal with this pride issue because I had a, an opinion of myself that was better than what it was. I even thought I was a Christian. Because I went to church every day, every Sunday. I had a perfect record in Sunday school. Never missed a Sunday. My dad was the treasurer of the church, so I had to go. No choice. My dad was one of these guys, as long as you live in my house, sleep in my bed, and eat my food, you do what I say. Y'all have some parents like that probably as well. But see, when I got to be about 14, 15, got my driving license and started driving where I come from, if you had a driver's license and could drive up to the drive-in window of the liquor store, you were old enough to buy whatever you wanted. 
So we would go out on Saturday night and sometimes get so drunk that I would have to call my dad to come get me because he would say, don't ever drive my car if you've been drinking. You call me, I'll come get you. But Sunday morning, I was in Sunday school. I had memorized my memory verse. I had a perfect record. My dad thought I was a Christian. My Sunday school teacher thought I was a Christian. My pastor thought I was a Christian. But two people knew the truth. Me and God. Amen? Sometimes we have a an opinion of ourselves better than we ought. And then the last group that Paul talks about here is how do you serve your enemies? He uses words like, bless those who persecute you. Do not repay evil with evil. Live peaceably with all men. Do not avenge yourself, for vengeance belongs to the Lord. Here's a tough one. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If your enemy's thirsty, give him something to drink. Because you overcome evil with good. Now it's hard enough rejoicing with those people that got the promotion I was supposed to get or got the raise that I was supposed to get. It's hard enough to weep with that person that I don't like at work that just got fired. Because if we're honest, some of us are like the disciples. Remember one time there were some people saying bad things about Jesus? And the disciples said, Jesus, can we just call fire down from heaven? Now, come on, be honest. How many of you work with somebody that sometimes you've thought that? <laughs> Amen. Hopefully you don't live with them. <laughs> That's hard. But to be good and to bless somebody that openly persecutes me? Jesus, what are you asking me to do? Do you want me to be like you? Think about it. See, we are not to be conformed to this world... And we are to be transformed by God's grace because Jesus loved us enough to pay the price for us to be able to do these things. See, it is by God's grace and only by God's grace that we are able to live this Christian life. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I hope this message has spoken to you as it did to me when I prepared it.
Father, we just come to you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Romans. Father, I thank you for chapter 12 that you are commanding us to be sacrifices. To give up of our natural tendencies to come first. And Father, you are asking us to put others before ourselves and to live like Jesus lived. And Father, it's not easy because in our humanity, many times we're like the disciples. Oh God, just rain fire down from heaven. And Father, we ask today that you would help us and that you would touch our hearts. And Father, as we come to your word, that our minds would be transformed and that as our mind is transformed, our whole being is transformed because your word says that what we think, that is what we become. And Father, help us to meditate upon your word. Even those people that we don't like, Father, we think of, you know, even now, things that are being said in political campaigns. Father, help us to live the Christian life. And regardless of who it is, that we overcome evil by good. And help us to pray for those people and bless those, our enemies. Father, help us to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep and to live this life for others. And we give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.